Hello and welcome to episode three of Sun and Rain. This is Katie and I was going to let you into my brain a little bit today. I've been thinking a lot and talking in the last two episodes about my background, but also going back to the time when I was desperate for sleep and teaching my twin babies to sleep. And as I've been exploring that and building out the real nitty gritty details of that process and of um, reflection on that time, I realized that um, it's valuable enough information that I started writing it down. So I kind of, I worked on today the second module of what will be the sleep masterclass. And I framed this masterclass in combination with um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. I've cracked this book, you know, a handful of times at least over the years. And this time around, framing it with the sleep class has really been eye-opening. And every time you read something, you know, you tend to pull something new from it. So on the second habit, which is where I was studying today, I wanted to talk about some of the takeaways that came from this chapter for me. And habit number two is beginning with the end in mind. And it starts out in the chapter and Mr. Covey has you reflect on going to your own funeral. What would that look like? What would people say about you? Um, What would you want them to say about you? You know, people from your family, a friend, people you work with. And I think that's a really, really interesting exercise because then you ask yourself, well, if this is what I want people to say about me, then what, what is really important and what does success really mean? What is a successful life? Um, he quotes Oliver Wendell Holmes in the beginning the, of the chapter and he, said, and he said, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. And I have notes here from maybe the first time I read this section of the book that kind of are bullet point items on answering that question. What do I want my eulogy or my funeral service to focus on? What do I hope people will say about me? And some of those things are that I led a life of service, of faith, that I had gratitude and I expressed it. Um, I want people to describe me as vibrant and adventurous courageous and kind. Um, I want people to say that I made a difference. I did note here too, that I wanted to have a life of success and improvement. I wanted people to think of me as a teacher and a mentor. I also wrote down fearless, which is something I talked about in my last episode. And I want people to think that I made the most of my life. And I want to be able to say I did that I made the most of my life, that I was consistent, honest, loyal, Um, I want people to feel like I have their back. And if my kids were speaking, I wrote this kind of in a little separate part that I wanted them to know that I had unconditional love for them, but that I also pushed them to be their best. So I found that really interesting. And I wonder what people would say, because I didn't talk anything here about money or any specific accomplishments, right? Like I climbed Mount Everest or made $10 million dollars. But I do, if I'm being honest, you know, I put in there success and constant improvement. And for me, I know that that's, that's what I meant when I wrote that down. I do want to have some sort of measurable success um, in terms of 
of financial security as well. So heavy on the emotional side and heavy on the relationship side and just a touch of of accomplishment in terms of business and, and financial stability. Well, I dug in a little deeper and, um, you know, he explains that beginning with the end in mind really means having a clear vision or a clear understanding of what your destination is. I think another way to say destination is would be to use that eulogy analogy. What do you really want your life as a whole to look like? Um, And he talks about how every day of your life needs to contribute in some sort of meaningful way to that vision, to that whole picture. And if you live like that, you live with purpose, right? And you live with a single focus and it simplifies things quite a bit. Something that... um, Laurel and I, my business partner, talk about a lot is the difference between busyness and purpose or busyness and being goal-oriented, right? A person can be very busy and not very effective. A person can have a lot to do on their list and run around like a crazy person with their head chopped off, but that doesn't really make them important simply because they have a lot to do. And I have a pretty strong rule to never say I'm too busy or to never have that like fatigued conversation of like, oh, I'm so busy. I just like can't even. I really try to simplify my life and choose deliberately the things that I do. I don't always succeed at that, but I'm not a huge like errand runner, right? Out for the sake of being out. Um, those kind of things, I I tend to simplify and really ask myself what I want to do with my day. And sometimes I fail for sure. Sometimes I fail. And I, I, I'm not like a huge, um, scheduled producer, right? Like maybe you wouldn't say I got so many things done in a day, but I definitely don't waste my time either with busyness. Um, it's, you know, they say there's a real, really common quote, right? That says, if you want something done, ask a busy person. And I hate that word busy, but I am the kind of person like, yes, if it's important to me, even though I have a lot of other things to do, I'll crank it out. I can get it done. And when, if I say I'm going to do it, I will do it. Um, but I feel like that's different than this like hyper busy attitude, right? So, because busyness doesn't necessarily take us in the direction we need to go. So the, so that's one part of this highly effective, um, habit to begin with the end in mind. So if you have a list of busy things to do, does it really get you further to the end you want to be that compassionate person, to be the kind of person people can count on, to communicate to people that you see them and value them, and to develop your relationships and move forward in your life, right? Does running to three different stores for the best deal or taking, you know, a hundred different you know, practice runs every day, does that really get you or your kids closer to their end game? Um, the next idea in, in this section of seven habits is that all things are created twice. I love this. Of course they are. All things are created twice. And he gives the analogy of building a house. How (laughs) there's no other way to even think about it. First, the house is built in your mind. 
and the minds of several people, right? You come up with the concept of how you want it to feel, how you want it to look, how many bathrooms, what kind of flooring you want to use. You draw plans, you edit plans, you go back to the drawing board over and over and over again until you have built the perfect house in your mind. And then that idea that was born in your mind is translated before your eyes, right? Into a material, tangible thing. And the challenge here is to do that with everything. Because our houses really are probably the least important things in our lives. And yet we go to painstaking measures to make sure they're perfect, right? They're square, they're sound, they're safe, they're sturdy. And we do that with deliberation and, and I mean, just painstakingly detail-oriented. And we make sure that every detail is accounted for our families, you know, the space we need, the budget has to be there, all those kinds of things. And are we that careful with the other things we're trying to create in our lives? And that's his challenge in this section is do we deliberately create things that are supposed to become reality? Do we create them in our mind first? Because if we don't, then how are we going to present them in reality? The other thing is if we don't do that, if we don't create them by design and, by, and carefully planning, then we're going to get what we get by default instead of by design. He says, whether we are aware of it or not, whether we are in control of it or not, there is a first creation to every part of our lives. We are either the second creation of our own proactive design or we are the second creation of other people's agendas, of circumstances, or of past habits. That's really powerful. If we don't deliberately design it in our mind, we'll just get whatever we get by default. And so he challenges us in the rest of this section to rescript. And how can we rescript? One of the ways we can rescript is to use that funeral analogy and literally write. Write your funeral program, write your eulogy, at least bullet point out what you hope to have accomplished and that people will say about you and how people will feel. Um, but then he talks a lot about um, the difference between leadership and management. You know, a manager is is doing all the details, right? All the things that are supposed to be right. He's making sure we're efficient. We're making the right steps. But a leader, he makes sure that the vision is there. So it says that, you know, the manager helps everybody move up the ladder, take the right steps, move up the ladder, keep everybody on the same ladder, the same track. But the leader puts that ladder against the correct wall so that once we're up the ladder, we're all in the right place. I thought that was really powerful. Do we lead or do we manage? And I look at my life and I think, you know, my tendency is to manage, especially my kids, um, because it's easier, right? If I just say, just take this step, let's just move in this direction. Just do your homework, just, you know, get the chores done instead of on a regular basis, communicating to them, my idea of them as a whole person and the way I see their potential and how that would shift the conversation. They wouldn't feel so managed under my thumb if I could stay on top of the ladder and look at the view, Right. So that's something I really need to work on. I want my kids to feel led and motivated and not micromanaged. And if I begin with the end in mind that I want them to 
be those people that I do see in them, their talents and potential realized, then I need to treat them that way every day. And it's probably a major shortcoming of mine because I get caught up in the everyday. He talks about how to re-script that too and how to write um, a personal mission statement, which I think would be really powerful, and then a family mission statement. And if you're in business, an organizational mission statement. And several different ways you could construct those in a meaningful way, and then everybody's on board, like the Constitution. You just go back to it. Okay, does the decision we're making today, the conversation we're having today, does it come back to our mission statement that we all created together? So... One of the challenges for me right now would be to take some time and write my mission statement. I'd love to share that in another episode when I do it. Um, He says in the mission statement, you have to consider where your center is. Okay. So where does all of your motivation, where are you grounded? Where does that come from? And he says, some people are centered in a whole bunch of different things, but that center kind of dictates how secure we feel. Um, it guides a lot of our choices and it kind of lends to our wisdom too, like how, how we see life, our, our sense of balance, how we judge and discern and make decisions and also our power, our our capacity to act is dictated by our center. And I don't think a lot of times we want to admit what our center is. And I want to go through these because we have to ask ourselves where we really sit and it shifts. It can't, well, it can shift between a lot of these things unless we land on a true and grounded center. So he says we could be spouse centered. Um, and he's not really indicating that any of these are negative or positive, but they each could be both. Um, you know, do we rely on our spouse and their feedback, the state of our marriage, um, those kind of things. And does our worth come from like how our spouse treats us or thinks of us? Are we always going back to that? As our, are we spouse-centered? Um, he says, inevitably, anytime we are too vulnerable, we feel the need to protect ourselves from further wounds. And this could be, if we're spouse-centered, it could actually eat away at our relationship, right? Because we resort to sarcasm or humor, criticism, anything that would keep us from exposing how we really feel if we're spouse centered and our relationship may suffer. It also at times may be built, right? If you're doing well, then you build your relationship. If you're spouse centered, um, we could also be family centered where we center our sense of security, our wisdom, everything on how well our family is doing and our motivation to make them well. We could be money centered that as we face challenges or, times of great wealth, you know, that dictates our wisdom, that dictates our security, and even our power to act, right? We feel controlled and um, kind of in flux with depending on how our money situation is. The next one is work-centered. How are we doing at work? You know, are we high enough up? Do people see us at work? Are we valued? Um, Possession-centered, the things that we have, if we have enough things or the right things, the right brand of things, pleasure-centered, we we base our decisions and our power based on how we feel, if we're feeling good enough, if we're on enough of a high. And the last one 
is, uh, no, that's not the last one, friend or enemy centered, right? Our social feedback, um, we can focus on one person that we love and one person that we hate or kind of like our social dynamic in our life. And then the last one is church um, centered. So do we judge ourselves and make our decisions based on our uh, organized church, our community that lives within our church, right? Are we active? Are we worthy? Are we, um, you know, checking off all those boxes in the church? Um, that is, of course, different than faith, right? That's actually the organization and and the the social climate at our church. And excuse me, not the last one. The last one, of course, is the scariest one, and it could be self. Are we centered on ourself and how only how we feel and the feedback that we're giving ourselves and not really able to come out and beyond ourself? So I'm reading through these, and I don't, you know, it's one of those things I don't remember reading this before, even though I know I've cracked this book at least five times. Um, and so I ask myself, and I see myself vacillating between a lot of these family, spouse, maybe a touch of church. I think all of us go to self sometimes, um, you know, and, and I'm thinking, okay, well, which one is best? Well, he actually says, none of these, none of these should be our center. Our center should be based on principle. Because principles do not waver. So if we can find a center in principle, we can always go back to that. He says, the ideal, of course, is to create one clear center from which you consistently derive a high degree of security, guidance, wisdom, and power, empowering your proactivity and giving congruency and harmony to every part of your life. So if you have a centered life on principles, on correct principles, that really provides a solid foundation that supports wisdom, supports power, supports guidance, because principles don't shift. Whereas, you know, your church, your church group may shift, your friendships may shift, even your family, your spouse, all those things shift yourself shift, but principles of faith, love, those kind of things are timeless and they don't change. And you can always go back to love. You can always go back to faith. You can always go back and say, okay, if my friendships are shifting, if things at work are not good and you're not centered there, but you're centered on love, you'll find a way to put those things back in balance. And so I found that to be really powerful today and really valuable to identify what your core principles are that you can find your center in those core principles. And it, he talks about and teaches like, okay, if you are money centered, let's look at it. Why? Why are you money centered? What script have you been handed down to tell you that you should be money centered or if you're church centered or if you're enemy centered, you know, if you are constantly worried about the people who don't like you and that motivates your actions, how can you change that conversation and put it back to a timeless and unchanging principle of faith or love or hope? What if we could all do that? Would that not be an incredible way to live? So as you're asking yourself, okay, what is my center? That helps you form your end game, right? 
If you want to build your life on faith, hope, love, those kind of timeless and universal good principles, then you already know what they want you to say at your funeral. You already know the kind of person that you want to be. And no matter what shifts, that's who you are. And that's who people will know you are. He, he makes a metaphor of, of a computer, okay? So habit one, which is being proactive, says, okay, then I'm, I'm the programmer. I can take charge of my life. But habit two, beginning with the end in mind, says, well, then go ahead and write the program. And that's the challenge of the second habit of highly effective people is to actually write your mission statement. Who are you? What do you believe in? What are you going to come back to every single time to keep your life on track? And it won't matter what's happening in your career, if you're rich or you're broke, if you're married or you're single, because you're grounded in timeless principles. And those will bow you up when things are hard. And your mission statement will get you back on track. So I might just have to find a beach somewhere and really look at my personal mission statement. And after doing that, I think it would be so valuable for me to sit around with the kids and my husband and write a family mission statement. I've been really talking to the kids lately about kindness. And if we could center our mission statement around kindness to each other, you know, I think we're all really good at being kind to our friends and our teachers and people we go to church with and our neighbors. But when we're at home, we let our guards down and we're not as kind as we need to be. And I'd like to get my kids and myself focused more on kindness within the walls of our home with the people we're most comfortable with that we know aren't going to leave us. That's where we have to be strongest. And then that will just boil over and bless the lives of those around us, I think, too. So it was really great to dig back into this to this habit, but I also framed it around the sleep um, course that I'm building. And how does that work out? Well, a really stressed out, exhausted couple of parents trying to get a baby to sleep. Sometimes we just do what's easy. And in the moment that feels like we're all just going to sleep right now with no plan, right? We'll just, if I can get an hour, we'll get through this. But if you begin with the end in mind and the end being, you know what? I want some freedom. I want to be able to put my baby to bed and know that I have 10 or 12 hours and they're going to wake up happy. I'm going to be rested. I can read a book, take a bath, those kind of things. If that's the end game, a calm, consistent environment where everyone's rested, that gives you the strength and the purpose to push through and do the harder things, which is a little bit of crying, really consistent bedtimes, not going out when you should stay home and those kind of things, protecting your plan and protecting your end game. So I'm excited because I'm framing up these seven habits to give strength and backbone to teaching kids to sleep and teaching parents to take the leadership role in that effort. So these are my thoughts. Let me know what you know about the seven habits of highly effective people. What really strikes a chord with you and where you really need to work. There's a lot of things in habit two that I've realized I need to work at. I do have a really clear vision of my end game, but have I planned it? Have I expressed it adequately? Do I go back to it? Am I grounded enough in those unchanging principles Or do I slip, right, and get self-centered? Do I slip and get money-centered? 
I definitely have tendencies to do those things and I got to shape it up. So let me know what you're thinking. Talk to you soon.